0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Labors of Love podcast. For today's episode, we're going back to one of our favorites from season one. Check it out. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is just a reminder that everything on the podcast is intended to be informational, educational, and entertaining. This is no way a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic process. If you find yourself in need of more direct support, please reach out for professional help or if you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or call 911. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love Podcast. Today it's just me. I am doing a solo cast and I want to talk about the nature of trauma. So for those listeners who've been following the podcast, uh you know that I am a therapist and a trauma specialist and I talk about trauma a lot. Um When I have a guest on uh, and we're talking about their labor of love, I frequently try to bring it back to here is how this relates to the brain, the body, the nature of trauma, uh, relationships, mental health as a whole. And so I just wanted to do um, an episode that gave some very real examples of the nature of trauma. And I wanted to use my own story uh, to illustrate some of these points. So in addition to knowing that this information is universal, these are human experiences, I also realized that story and authentic, transparent sharing is a very effective tool to help people feel seen, heard, understood, and really aids in the healing process. And so I want to talk about a series of experiences that I've had over the last couple of weeks that have really helped me further understand the nature of trauma. And what amazes me about this is that I know a lot, but I <laughs> darn sure don't know everything. I will continue to learn uh, intentionally about trauma and resilience and healing um, but when it happened when things happen in my life that I am now able to immediately recognize, have a word or phrase to put with it, and I can feel what 's happening in my body it 's amazing to me um, how much having my knowledge of trauma is helpful in providing support for myself um, and others. So let me start with saying that um, I recently visited home. And home for me is Detroit, Michigan. Uh, I grew up there. I was born there and I was there until I went off to college. I actually moved back my senior year of college and commuted uh, to the University of Michigan. And then after I graduated, I've lived in Cincinnati, Ohio, ever since. So it's important to know that because all of my formative years were uh, in Detroit. And a lot of my trauma was in Detroit. And so a couple of months ago, I went back to Detroit and um, I had gone to get food. And I think I shared this on another episode, but I'll share it again. I had gone to get food uh, from a restaurant that is in a part of town that I do not normally frequent um, when I go back to visit. And when I was in the, on this part of town, all of a sudden I had a thought and the thought was that there was like a store and a restaurant that was loosely connected to some of my trauma. And by loosely connected, I mean that uh, a person central in one of my incidents of trauma, uh, we had like picked this person up from the particular store I had passed and that thought came to me, it came to me really quickly, and I was like oh that that's interesting. It's interesting that that thought would come up and it came up and it and it went, and I was able to observe it mindfully right It's not good, it's not bad, it just is and it passed. I went and got the food, got home to my mother's house, and uh, we ate, and I just felt really tired. I was like, "Oh my goodness, I'm so tired, something you'll all." ways frequently hear me say is that our brain is constantly reaching for the most convenient narrative. The most convenient narrative at that time was that of course I was tired. I had a long week at work and I had driven you know up to a different state and of course I was tired. So I was like you know what even though I have work to do I'm gonna go. (laughs) I want to lay down across my mom's bed and binge watch tv. So that's what I did. My stomach also was not feeling very well And so my brain reached for another convenient narrative, which was that the meal that I had eaten, you know, disrupted my stomach, maybe because I hadn't had it in a long time or whatever that was. Well, as I laid there across the bed, binge watching, I tried to be mindful of what was going on, doing my body scans and just checking in. And that's when I realized, wait a minute, I'm not tired because I had a long drive and a long week. My stomach is not messed up because I don't like the delicious corned beef sandwiches from Lou's Deli. (laughs) I was tired and my stomach was responding the way it was because I was in dorsal vagal shutdown. You know, polyvagal theory. I was moving into shutdown because I had gone to that side of town. Just seeing that store activated a past trauma in my body began to respond as if I was experiencing that trauma again, which a lot of my trauma, my response for survival was shut down. So this was a few months ago. I've talked about it. I've processed it. And yeah, it's good to know. You know, I've shared this. I use this with clients to help them understand how their bodies may be responding, even if their brain isn't connecting what's happening in their body to the experiences they've had in the past. Well, a couple of weeks ago I visited home again and this time I brought my daughters. I have twin daughters and they're four and a half. And a couple of things that were very interesting about this trip is um, I realized that my daughters have a very different experience of being children than I did. So they weren't really accustomed to porch play and neighborhood play. And so it was so cute to watch them playing on the porch and in the front yard and in and, and things that they do not have regular access to here we've lived in apartments since they were born, and so they just didn't have that experience. Yes, they go outside, yes, they play outside, but it's not that neighborhood play that I had growing up, so it was super cute watching them. It was also nice to watch them have each other. I grew up as an only child, and so Um, And I lived on a block that didn't have a lot of other children. So I just, it was nice to watch them have that. I also realized when cars would drive down the street and they had loud music playing, the girls thought it was the funniest thing ever. Like, mommy, do you hear that? What is that noise? And they were laughing. It was a lot of joy. It was great. Well, at a certain point, I took them into the backyard to play. So we have a, a, there is a fenced in backyard and I watched my daughters play. And I was, I had grabbed a chair and I was sitting in the backyard watching them play and as I was watching them all of a sudden I I recalled some of my childhood trauma sexual abuse at the hand of similar age peers yet a little older and there was a particular incident that happened in my in the backyard of the home I grew up in and as I watched my daughter's play that memory was activated and I looked at my little girls and I realized that I was right around their age, maybe a little bit older when that incident happened to me. And what happened after I kind of made that connection was so interesting. And this is where I think so many people are going to resonate with this. I looked at my girls. I was recalling this incident that happened with me. And my brain began to hurt. I could not wrap my mind around how someone so young and so precious and so vulnerable could have been left in a position for the things that happened to me to happen. And because I couldn't wrap my mind around how I, as a young, beautiful, precious, vulnerable child, was left in such a position where that sexual abuse happened to me in my own backyard, I began to go through this process of like, okay, so wait. Well, no, how? Like, how? How? Like, you know, I, <laughs> I... I would not have left my 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 girls wouldn't have been out there playing by themselves while I was in the house doing something. I come check. No, I, I they're not old enough to protect themselves. Um, so because my mind couldn't wrap around it, convenient narratives started to emerge, and some of those com- convenient narratives were, well, maybe maybe I made it up, like maybe it didn't happen. Like me, okay. Well maybe well did it or was i wrong maybe i was older i had to be older maybe i and i i just started to question and doubt this event that i know happened but my mind just could not allow me to make sense of it why because it was a senseless act because it should have never happened and so I even, I even, I called my husband and I was talking to him and I'm just like, I just, I can't make sense of it. Like, I, I just don't understand. And I came up with three sentences, three sentences that helped me through that moment. And those three sentences were, it was real. It happened. And it was not your fault. It was real. It happened. And it was not your fault. And I had to continue to say those three sentences to myself through tears over and over and over again. Because I had gotten to this point, a point that throughout my life I've come to so many times was it real? Did I make that maybe I'm wrong. No, no. And it's easy for us, victims and survivors of trauma to come to that place when the things that have happened to us have not been acknowledged, when they have not been validated, when they have not been atoned, <laughs> when when those experiences of repair have not taken place in our lives when there hasn't been the rightful assignment of responsibility when those responsible for our um, safety and health and well-being have not taken ownership for some things it is not uncommon for us to come back to a place where we question if we're real so one There are some people listening to this, and you understand this spot very well. I share space and hold space with so many people who are in this exact space. No matter how old you were, we come back to this place. Was it real? Did it happen? Maybe it was my fault. I didn't actually say no. I didn't tell anyone. I embellished the details because I wanted people to know how serious it was. Then they called me a liar and said I wasn't credible. All of these things are so real. And so I give you the same three sentences that I had to give myself that day. It was real. It happened. And it was not your fault. Some of us have been gaslit for so long, that we gaslight ourselves. So I want to offer that the nature of trauma, part of the nature is familiar places, familiar smells, familiar sounds can evoke, activate and awaken the survival skills that we once needed. I have not lived in Detroit for six years 16 yet every time I go back things get awakened in me because I spent 18 years there and so when we come to those places and information starts to come through our eyes our nose our mouth our ears, when we feel things on our skin, know that these things can get activated. You may all of a sudden feel angry. (laughs) Why am I angry? I invite us to move away from the question, why? Why am I mad? Why am I angry? Why am I feeling this way? I understand we want clarity, but I am inviting us to move away from why, because why naturally makes us defensive. Literally, if someone said, hey, why do you have a black car? The first thought, I mean, yeah, because I like black, but it's like, I mean, is there something wrong with a black car? Why shouldn't I have a black car? It doesn't matter how innocent or, or light the question seems, the, the question why, the word why, can evoke a defensiveness within us that makes us want to guard, it makes us uh, oftentimes want to defend whatever it is, even if we're asking ourselves. And so my invitation is instead of saying, why am I angry? Saying, I'm curious about my anger. I'm curious about my sadness. I'm curious about this pain in my stomach. I'm curious about my shortness of breath. And then we take a deep breath. Note where we feel it in our bodies. That anger, where do I feel that in my body? That sadness, where do I feel that in my body? What color is it? Can I give it a color? Once I know where it is in my body, once I assign a color, I'm gonna take deep breaths in through my nose and imagine my breath going to that part of my body. And as I blow the air out through my mouth, I'm gonna blow out the color I have assigned it. And I'm going to do that for as long as it takes for that color to shift, fade, or disappear. And what happens when we do that, it's not about necessarily making it stop because it's not bad. It's not wrong. It's not that we want to get rid of it, but we want to acknowledge it. So when I do that breathing exercise, I'm acknowledging that pit that I had in my stomach. That was the blackish color. It was like slimy. And when I breathe deep into that part of my belly and I push that air out, what I'm saying to my belly, That is also for me correlated to that very young girl in me, that three-year-old, that four-year-old, that five-year-old. What I am saying to them is I see you. I hear you. I feel you. I acknowledge your pain, your confusion, your sadness, and I'm here with you. I didn't have anyone with me during those moments as a little girl. But now that little inside of me will always have me with her. And so that was a very, um, yeah, interesting, phenomenal experience of what I talk about often, but experiencing it myself and having such gratitude for the skills that I talk about all the time. Because in my transparency and my authenticity, one thing that I want to come across very clearly to people is I do walk what I talk. I don't recommend or suggest or encourage people to do anything that I don't do myself. I have no judgment and no condemnation for where people have been, where they are, where they're going, because I understand how the brain and body work, how survival works, and I am continuously working on my healing while I simultaneously encourage, invite, and walk with people on theirs. And so it helped. All of these things helped. It's why I'm sharing to hopefully help others. But a lot of these things are not new things. I've said all of these things before. I just want people to know that I actually use them. <laughs> like, I I actually do them, and they actually help me. So that was one experience. And so... Um. I I had a couple of more days in Detroit and, you know, I felt fine. I constantly kept an eye on my littles though. And I would just check in every now and then. And it was so cute to watch my girls like, uh, dance around my mom's house because it just reminded me of me as a kid, you know, and I would do those things. And I took a video and my mom was also like, you know, you used to do that. And my sister even used to do that. And, and so, yeah, it was really nice. And so, we were making our way, my daughters and I, back from Detroit on our way home. Uh, so I was taking I two seventy five southbound, um, and drive was going fine. I mean, it's a drive I've made countless times. And for this part of the the my story, I do want to just say, objectively, I am a good driver. Okay, um, I do. I understand the laws of the road. I am attentive um, I, yeah, I adhere (laughs) to most laws and post-it signs, right? So that's just just something that I, I I need to say for this part of my story. Um, also that I am a very observant and, um, a, a defensive driver. What I mean by that is I, with pretty accurate, pretty good accuracy can oftentimes, tell when a person is or is not going to do something when they're operating their vehicle, just by how their vehicle is maneuvering. Um, You know, when a person is going faster than they probably should in the far right lane and they're going to get too close to the car that's in front of them, that's not going very fast. And at the last minute, they're going to get over. I'm looking at all of these factors. Now I will say that, you know, having a lot of trauma when you're a child begins to hone certain skills And being observant and predicting what people are going to do is one of those skills that got honed for me. And so I do this very often. And and so often I'm accurate. Like, yep, I knew they were going to do that. And it's not just a matter of be like, yeah, I knew they were going to do that. It's I knew they were going to do that. So I'm going to alter my driving. So at the last minute when they get over, they have space to get over. So it doesn't impact them nearly running into me or whatever. So with that being said, I was driving, um, home to Cincinnati and I was about a little over an hour out. Um, I drive cruise control on these long drives, flow of traffic. Um, so I was probably about 76 miles per hour cruise control. Um, I only use the left lane for passing because that's what it's for. Um, and this, these are the way I conduct myself on the road. So anyway. I am driving. I get to a point where I'm on cruise control. There's a car. I'm in the middle lane. There's a car in front of me. I can gauge that their speed is not one that will have my cruise control uninterrupted. So I put on my left signal in preparation to get over to the left lane. As I look in my rear view mirror, I've checked my blind spots. I've checked the lane. There's no car to my left. As I look in my blinds, my rearview mirror as I'm getting over, there's a pickup truck behind me that is also have their signal on to get over as well okay fine right except the pickup truck accelerates the pickup truck picks up speed and it was almost as if like they were going to try to hurry up and get in the left lane and pass me before I could get over well the challenge is I'm already partially in the left lane they're speeding up towards me and they're in this huge pickup truck I can't get back over into the middle lane safely because I'm getting too close to the car that I was trying to go around in the middle lane. And so essentially what happens is I have no choice. I'm getting in the, you know, the left lane. And instead of the pickup truck slowing down or getting over back into the right lane, what the pickup truck does is it passes me on the left. I'm in the left lane though. So it is literally on the shoulder along the median And as it's doing that, and I am like freaking out, not really freaking out. I don't freak out in crisis, but inside I'm freaking out, trying to figure out what to do, sideswiped. The left part of my, the passenger side of my car is sideswiped by this big old pickup truck. So at this point, I am like, what the hell, right? Um, My girls at this point, they had been asleep, but they are now awake. They had been awake for a while. They were playing. So they're like, mommy, what's going on? Cars are still coming down the highway. So I'm having to like safely maneuver from the far left lane all the way over to the right so I can pull off. So I pull off. It's dark. It's only almost seven o'clock, but it's already dark. Pull over, break. And I'm like, okay, let me call my husband. So I call my husband and I kind of tell him what's going on. Now at this point, yeah, I'm like pissed, right? So super pissed off. And I'm talking to him and he starts to freak out. And I'm like, yo, hey, I need you to hold it together. (laughs) That's the only way I'm gonna hold it together. Like, I need you to hold it together. And so we had just gotten our insurance cards. And the difference is I leave my insurance card in my car. Uh, My husband keeps his insurance card in his wallet and I'm driving his car. So I'm like, I need you to, can you go online and send me our insurance card? In the meantime, I'm saying, so what do I do? Like, do I call Nine one one. What what should I do? So the pickup truck has pulled off to the right as well. They're a good distance behind me. They're pulled off, um, and so we decide. Okay, fine. I'm gonna call nine one one. So I call nine one one. I give them, tell them what happened to the. I tell them where I am. I also googled where am I. So I don't know if y'all know you can do that. If you Google where am I, it will tell you where I am. And it told me that I was in Vandalia, Ohio. So I give them that information, and then we wait, and we wait a really long time. So we probably wait about twenty five minutes. My daughters are doing phenomenal. Um, They are um, asking questions occasionally. Why aren't we driving? Is daddy coming? Um, You know, I said, nope, we have to wait for the police to get there. One of my girls was like, no, mommy, I don't want you to go to jail. Honey, nobody's going to jail. We're going to be fine. So, another thing I would like to say is over several years, um, well, really over a decade, I've worked in crisis management and mental health. What that means is I have really a really well-built muscle to help me remain calm during crisis situations. Um, I, I, can, I can hold on to my prefrontal cortex, that's the thinking part of the brain, significantly well um, because I know that in crisis situations, unfortunately, uh, people who respond, first responders are not trained to come to your car and say, let's take some five, seven, eight breaths. Let's do three. Let's get your central nervous system regulated. Let's get your prefrontal cortex back online. Now let me ask you questions. Unfortunately, they're not trained in that. I'm trying (laughs) y'all. I'm really trying. I want to train them to do that. So I know they're not trained to do that. So I have to do that myself. Okay. So I'm taking deep breaths. I am being, I'm doing everything I can hold on to your prefrontal cortex, because they're going to ask you questions. And when you flip your lid, you don't have access to the thinking, logical, rational part of your brain. It also would make it difficult for me to relay not just what happened, but factual information like, where do you live, blah, blah, what's your name? So I'm holding on, y'all. I'm holding on. So finally, the highway patrol arrives. When I look in, and I'm not getting out of my car, <laughs> I'm not getting in my car at all. So I'm locked in. My husband is on the Bluetooth. We are fully prepared to record this entire interaction. Um, there's another car behind the pickup truck. I have no idea who's in that car, why that car is there. But anyway, highway patrol gets there, they move their way up from the last car to the pickup truck. <clears throat> and then they come, she it's a lady, she comes to my car. I don't think she was prepared to talk to me yet. She was just looking at the damage on the side of my car, but because of my window was down, she goes, so what happened? So I began to tell her exactly what happened. I told her the same story I told you. As I was telling it, she had a smirk on her face. Like, I don't even know if she noticed it, but it automatically, like, it triggered. <laughs> it caused me, like, if you know the handbrain, I was already at, like, two and a half fingers gone offline. Her smirk made me go. So I'm holding on by a thin thread, just one finger of my prefrontal cortex, right? And so I tell her what happened. And I said, look, I don't even know if or to the extent that there's damage. She assured me that there was damage, but it looked just like paint, like there was no dent. She also confirmed that the pickup truck really didn't have any damage. And I'm like, yes, probably not because they're a big old pickup truck running me off the road or whatever. So she continues to smirk, tells me to get my license and my insurance ready um, and she would return. So I had already had my license and insurance ready, um, from the 25 minutes I was waiting. So anyway, when she comes back, she takes down information. She takes my license. My insurance card was digital. So she took down the numbers. Um, she asked my daughter's names. She needed a report. She needed to know what kind of car seats they're in, blah, blah, blah. And she said she was going to go write up the report before she left though. She said, unfortunately, you're at fault. So I'm going to have to cite you. I lo- I'm like, what? What do you mean? Wait, how am I at fault? So she began to tell me that it's my responsibility when shifting lanes to make sure that the lane is clear before I move into it and that it was clear by how the damage on the cars were that I had come over onto this pickup truck while they ran the left lane. And I'm like, no, no, never was the pickup truck in the left lane more than I was how the damage came. It's because they tried to go around me by being on the median. How can someone be driving on the shoulder? And I'm at, I'm to blame. And so I am extremely demonstrative. Okay. My Detroit is definitely coming out. My hands are moving. My tone is elevated. I'm like, uh, uh, and that's when I noticed her body language shift, her body language shifted, her tone of voice shifted. And I don't remember her words, but she pretty much was like, look, (laughs) she didn't say look. But what she said was something like, you're you're at fault. If you want to contest this, you can go to court. That's what court is for. I'm going to go write this up. And that is when I shut down. So what happened in that moment was I began to feel my body. So how do I hold on to my prefrontal cortex? How do I remain calm in crisis situations? I have to separate myself from my body. I have a very, I'm working on a continual practice to make sure I'm embodied, feel my body. But in order to remain logical in crisis, I got to separate myself. my body this is not uncustom people understand this like i now let me tell you this this thing i'm about to say i don't know nothing about it personally but think about runners (laughs) i'm thinking runners who push them 20 i don't even know what is it 26 point some miles like in order to run a marathon at some point you disconnect from your body (laughs) and that's why after it's over that's when you realize. Oh, I got blisters on my feet. Oh, my, you know, my hamstrings hurt. But in the moment of going, we we don't oftentimes feel our bodies, okay? <clears throat> so after she walks away, I begin to notice my body. That's when I realize my heart rate is like up so high. And it's not just the anger and the frustration that I've just been told this was my fault. That's when I realized how dark it was. It was dark. That's when I realized that it was dark and I was in a northern rural suburb of Dayton and I'd looked at the election map. And let me tell you, I wasn't in a blue part, and that felt very uncomfortable. That felt very scary. To me that's when i looked in my rearview mirror and realized that it was a pickup truck behind me and i'm gonna have to be 100 real with y'all there is a super high correlation in my mind and body to big old pickup trucks especially if they're ford and chevy and the flags i mean and the the trucks that were driving around the i-275 loop with the trump parade Flying the Trump flags, along with the American flags, along with the Don't Tread on Me flags, along with the Confederate flags. I live off the I-275 loop. I witnessed that, and I noticed what my body did the day of that parade, when I only had a 10-minute drive from work to home, and seeing those big old pickup trucks with those signs. I felt my body that day, and then I felt it again, sitting on the side of that road. I... Thought about how angry I was and how demonstrative I was, but how if that made this lady uh, highway patrol person feel uncomfortable or albeit threatened, what could that have done? And so I began to shut down. I understood in that moment why my husband was freaking out. I understood that this did not at all feel safe for me. And I got my babies in the back seat. So when she came back to the car with my license, her voice returned to what it was before. I, I, I no longer, have my prefrontal cortex so she was talking about a whole bunch of stuff like she asked me my address <laughs> was it in the county I'm in all these things and I couldn't even speak I just shook my head and then she told me like I had a court date at this day and this time if I wanted to go to court but I didn't have to go to court she turned it over and circled the number I could call on the back and all I could do was let tears flow down my face and shake my head she gave me back my license. She gave me the ticket. And she said something to the effect of, Here you go. Tried, um, try to have a better evening. And I pulled off. And as I was pulling off, I, my husband's still on Bluetooth. And I said out loud, with tears coming silently down my face, I have been raped. I have been emotionally and sexually abused. And I have never felt like a victim until tonight. There was something about the feeling that my truth in my reality was blatantly ignored, invalidated, was either directly called a lie or at bare minimum inconsequential. That what had happened and what I said had happened didn't matter. And that her perspective of the placement of the damage and the testimony of someone else who was being a bully on the road in their big old pickup truck didn't matter. That in and of itself, I still feel that in my body in this moment. But then to be held accountable and told, I have to pay, did something to my spirit that I can't describe. In addition to my littles and my trauma being activated a couple of days before, I was now, my body tingled in every direction. I had no words. I couldn't talk. Thankfully, my girls went back to sleep for the last hour of the drive. I had nothing. I was exhausted. I got home. All I could do, first thing I went to do was take a shower because <laughs> I literally felt like I had been violated. And then I, I went to sleep and I slept. And it was so painful. I tried so many times to replay it, and I went back to that same familiar place. Well, maybe it was my fault. Well am I wrong? Well, that is what happened, right? But I did. But maybe I in same place, so you know what I had to tell myself? It is real. It was real. It happened. And it was not your fault. That same experience of maybe my reality isn't real because if everybody is saying it was my fault, maybe it was, it was not my fault. What I find now, and this has never happened to me in my life, I drove on the freeway today for the first time. We still, we locked down. (laughs) My family don't do nothing, okay? Um, But we did have to go to an appointment that required freeway driving, and I was driving. My whole body was responding while I was driving, and I could feel the difference. I have been driving since I was 15 years old. I am a confident and competent driver. As a matter of fact, ever since I was 15 until now, Over 20 years, I have been the primary driver in all of my relationships. (laughs) Right? I always drive and I'm good at it and I'm confident and I'm competent. And I was afraid to drive my car today. And that is the nature of trauma. We got a voicemail from our insurance company. They had a couple of questions and they wanted to know my perspective. (laughs) They left the voicemail with my husband. He told me that, you know, they wanted to talk to me and my whole body began to shut down. That little girl got activated again. You know why? She's afraid because they're not going to believe us. What if they say it's our fault too? What if they make us pay? She was terrified, and just the, just the fact that I had to talk about it again, I felt that pit in my stomach again. It was black. It was slimy, so I had to take my deep breaths. I had to breathe into that spot. I had to blow out that color. Now, thankfully, I wrote about this. <laughs> I am part of a writing circle, and I had to get it out of me. I had to get it off my central nervous system, so I wrote. I wrote it. And so when it came time, um, I was so thankful that the insurance company, and I don't know if they do this on purpose, but it's helpful. I didn't have to call them and talk about it. They said I could send them an email and I just copied and pasted what I had written that talked specifically about the incident into that email so that they, they had my perspective, but I didn't want to talk about it again. So if you are a therapist Everybody don't always want to talk about it again. Understand that that's okay, especially right now. Now I'm ready to talk about it. I'm doing it. But a day or two after that accident, I was not ready to talk about it. And I'm glad that at least I had the option to email. And I'm glad that it was already written. But this is, in fact, the nature of trauma. And it's not just how my body is responding to driving on a freeway now and because of that. It's not incident specific. It awakened my whole central nervous system. And I have been taking good care of myself this week. I have been loving and validating. My partner has been loving and validating. I've been taking it easy. I've been breathing. I've lost my appetite. I've had a big appetite and I am just accepting where I am because that was traumatic. Trauma is not an event or a series of events, but the worldviews, beliefs, the behaviors and the way our body responds as a result of those events. So much of that accident is connected in my body to when I was a little girl. And I just want to share and wanted to have a transparent. Can we call it a conversation if you're not talking back? I don't know. <laughs> I wanted to talk to y'all. I wanted to be real. Because I know that there are people listening to this who can relate. I know that as I told my story, there are people whose bodies activated. Because your littles understood. I know that there are so many people who understand exactly what I'm going through. And that brings me comfort. And I share my voice. And I share my story. And I am committed to authenticity and transparency because you hearing mine can help you feel seen, heard, and understood. And so that is what I leave you with today. Trauma's real, but so is resilience. And so is healing. And there's nothing I can do to make the things that have happened to me unhappen. But I am so glad that I am healing And that that healing is transmitting to my children, to my neighbors, to my listeners, to my family. And I will continue to work this journey and help others work theirs. I thank each and every one of you for tuning into this episode I thank you for bearing witness to my story and just knowing that there are so many of you on the other side of this. I feel seen, I feel heard, and I feel understood. I want to give a special shout out to Trey Angel, who provides the music for the Labors of Love podcast, to my producer, Jay Sugg of Instant Classic Media, If any of my listeners have suggestions for content or guests, or if you just want to reach out to me, I am so thankful to everyone who reaches out to me to say, thank you for the podcast. I heard it, that it was valuable and important to you. Those messages really do fuel my spirit and soul. So thank you. Please reach out to me in any capacity at www.thelaborsoflove.com. We are on all the major social media outlets. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And please take a moment. Please give us that five-star rating. Write a review for the Labors of Love podcast everywhere you get your podcast. Until we connect again, you all, please be well.